This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Today I'll share with you a talk that I gave recently at a Sunday school class in the United States. I think the last time I checked in with you all, I was in Russia, had just returned from a trip to Romania, Montenegro, and Serbia. Since then, I've traveled a bit. I'm in America for a little while, and we hope to return to Russia not too long from now. But our days are in the Lord's hands. We really don't know exactly what life will look like much more than a few months down the road. Of course, ultimately, we don't know what life will look like tomorrow, as far as that goes. Remember, the Lord wants us to live a day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And worrying, of course, doesn't add anything to our life, and it actually distracts from the quality of our life. In the talk that you're about to hear, I'm going to tell a story that I think I told recently, so apologies for repeating myself so soon after having told that story. It's good to encourage other people with stories of how the Lord has been at work to glorify Him and to encourage other people to continue to walk in the things that God has been giving them, the gifts that He's given them and the understanding that He gives and the wisdom so that we can be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we can be a blessing to the people in the world who don't yet know him. Well, as I record this little introduction, something just came on my heart. I feel like I should share it with you. Uh, hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. And the word friend comes to mind. And I think the message is somebody who's listening right now, uh, needs to be a friend, like very purposefully be a friend to someone in your life. I don't know if this rings a bell with anyone, if it touches your heart in any way, but I encourage you to take the initiative of being a friend with someone who is on your heart, some person that you know who is in need of a friend. Of course, you may not even know that they really need a friend right now, but I encourage you to pray. Uh, even at this moment, you can turn off this podcast and pray and ask the Lord, is there anyone in my life that you would like me to reach out to and befriend? Very often a friend is someone who sits with another person as they're going through a hard time. We can offer help. We can offer advice. We can provide for needs. But just sitting with a person and sharing with them as they go through a difficult time, that's very valuable in the kingdom. So pray and see how the Lord would have you act as a friend to someone now. Amen. He wants us to open up our lives to people, not just be shallow people who answer in a shallow way when somebody says, how are you doing? We do want to have relationships that go deep. There may not be many of them, but there should be some of them in your life. And a lot of times we have to reach out to others and encourage them to go deep. Please be praying about that. I think that's the word of God for someone who's listening right now. Be a friend to someone else. Reach out and be a friend to them. So without saying much more, I hope you're encouraged by what you're about to listen to. We want always for the life of God to flow. And we want always to draw closer to him so that we will learn more and more what it is to abide in him and rest in him 
but also to let his life flow through us, his power, so that we'll be a blessing to other people and we will really function well as members of the body of Christ. Susan Weldon just asked if I was going to talk on sin. (laughs) And I said, that may be a Freudian slip, if that's what she wants me to talk about. Is there something we need to know, Susan? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, a Freudian slip is when you say one thing but mean your mother, uh, mean another. (laughs) One of my favorite jokes. (laughs) We're off to a good start, huh? Sorry. Okay, so there are some people here that don't know me and Olga. I don't know how much you don't know about me or how much you do know. So I grew up in this church. I'm an American, and that makes sense because my wife is, well, she's now an American also, but she's Russian by birth, born in Leningrad in the USSR. 20 years ago, I moved to Russia, St. Petersburg, Russia. What is called a missionary, but you know the word missionary is not in the Bible, It's kind of a useful concept in some ways, but then in other ways it can not be very useful because really all of us just need to be where God wants us to be, doing what He wants us to do, and that there's no dividing line between one group or another group. We should just all be. But He worked in a a surprising way in my life, and so I've been living over there. I am now the executive director of an organization called Stoneworks International. It's a mission organization, and we live in St. Petersburg, and we have the organization I direct, we've got ministry partners in the Arctic, up north, Norway, Estonia, of course in Russia, Belarus, you think about the countries, Moldova, Romania, Montenegro, and real good friends in Serbia. And I am also involved in ministry in Africa, in Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, been there several times, and also in Uganda, and uh, the class has given some money to buy Bibles for a pastor in Uganda. So that was through the connections that God orchestrated. So I will tell this story just real quickly. I I do have some things that I've got on a piece of paper here, but the name of our organization is Stoneworks International, and it's named that because the Lord brought us to 1 Peter 2.5, which says God sets us together like living stones. And we realized that the Lord wanted us to organize our ministry based on the relationships that He establishes instead of on the projects or the outcomes that we would aim for. We just look at the relationships, who are the living stones that God's putting us close to, and then let the the activities flow from those relationships. And uh, one of our partners in Belarus was named Spring of Revival. And I got, I was sitting, I think I was in Russia at my desk, got an email from a pastor in Uganda, Sam, and he had gotten on the internet, he had a vision uh, where he saw, he was living in a city, and he saw up in the mountains an old well that was really dirty, and he went up and he cleaned out the well and it started flowing, and he heard the Spirit of God in the dream, or in the vision, say, what do you call this place? And he said, I don't know what to call it. Then the voice said, it is a spring of revival. So he got on Google and looked up Spring of Revival and found our ministry down in Belarus had that name, Spring of Revival. So he sent me an email. And I got this email. I'm like, uh, you know, a pastor in Africa, right? It's got to be a scam. It's just, you know. And I get things like this sometimes. But 
I really felt like the Lord wanted me to reply to him and keep talking to him. And um, so I wrote, and he was the real deal. We had some mutual connections in Uganda, and they called him, and he really was pastoring a little church out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, after a few emails, he started asking for money. And I said, Sam, I'm not going to give you any money. Our relationship should not be based on money. I won't give you any money, so don't ask until we have met face-to-face. And I had absolutely no idea or any plan that I'd ever be in Uganda, ever. And then, I don't know, several months later, I was at a men's conference in Norway. And there was a guy there who planted a church in Congo. And he invited me to go to Congo with him. But we fly into Uganda to drive over to Congo. I said, oh, where in Uganda? And I looked, and I, so I wrote Sam an email. I said, Sam, I'm going to be in Uganda. And then we met. He actually came over to Congo, and we met. That's amazing how the Lord works, right? Just dreams and visions and communicating and then just letting the Lord do whatever he's going to do miraculously instead of me saying, I need to go to Sam, and i got to buy tickets, and i got to go and just let the Lord unfold life. So anyway, that's a little bit of an introduction of who I am, but also how, how we think about things, how God wants us thinking about things. I have some things. I don't know how this is going to go. There's this phrase, charaz. It's a Hebrew phrase, and it means a bead or stringing together beads. And it's also a teaching style that actually Jesus was involved. The Jews understand that when you're teaching in the style of charaz, you take these little beads of information or beads of wisdom and you you put them together to make a necklace. And then the Sermon on the Mount is actually very much in the Haraz style of teaching. <laughs> these bits of information as you're going through these pieces of wisdom that they all knit together and then they do make this whole. So I think I'm going to have a little bit of a Haraz today. because <laughs> I've got little things here and there that I feel like the Lord may want me to share. As I've traveled around quite a bit, just last month I was down in well, I was in Estonia, Romania, Serbia, Montenegro, and I've had conversations there and here, Christians who are unsettled by world events. And it's a common conversation. And a lot of the conversations end up directing towards the end of times. Is this the collapse of a culture? How bad could things get? Because there's a real shaking that's been happening for the past year and a half or so. And a real uh, lot of division that's happening. Lots of things that we thought were stable, we realize they aren't actually stable. So there's a few things I want to talk about along on that theme here. How the Lord's been encouraging me how to go through this. Years and years ago, we went through a very, very, very hard time in our ministry in Russia. I was directing a Russian ministry at the time, very involved in helping orphans in many different ways, working in state orphanages and summer camps, uh, secular summer camps and helping orphans there, and also involved in adoptions, um, helping Russian orphans be adopted by American Christian families. And we were under tremendous attack. Here in America, you have 60 Minutes, it's a TV show. Well, we were featured on the Russian equivalent of 60 Minutes, national television show that was about Russian children basically being sold to Mother America. And they were accusing us of profiteering and selling children, whatever. 
But I mean, that's bad, right? If St. James was on 60 Minutes and they said St. James is involved in all this nefarious stuff. So it, it was a really serious attack. And we learned a lot of good lessons through all that. But what happened was uh, everything was shaken. Everything that we had been investing in is like, what's going to happen? Am I going to get deported? Will the staff get arrested? <laughs> Can the ministry continue? Uh, you know, it was really... And at the time, we were harvesting potatoes. It was autumn, and we were harvesting potatoes. We have a little house out in the country in Russia, which sounds perhaps more romantic than it actually is. Um, but those of you who've harvested potatoes, you plant potatoes, you put a seed potato in the ground, and then at the harvest time, you dig them out, and that seed potato is rotten. It's a rotten thing, but there's a lot of other potatoes in there, but it's all dirty. So you pull out the potato, and you shake it, the whole plant, and all the dirt flies off, and that rotten one flies off, and all the little ones that aren't strong, they fly off, and you shake, and what's left is what you want, but you got to be pretty violent in that shaking. And I remember shaking these potato plants like, oh, I'm going through a time of shaking. And we had a partner in Canada, a Canadian ministry that was, we thought they were going to be very close partners of ours. And when this TV show came out, we, they wouldn't reply to emails. You know, I thought they were good friends. It was like, we were getting shaken, and then what's left is what's strong and good and what you want. So I think that vision is helpful in times like this. God does allow things to get shaken, and it's His kindness. It really is the action of a loving Father that would let our lives be shaken so that what we thought was valuable but isn't is taken away. And the things that we thought were stable and real, but they really aren't, that they're just removed from our lives. So there's that shaking that's going on, I think. I mean, it's good. It's actually very good. It's, uh, it purifies a lot of things. And, and God has different plans for different people. Uh, so I don't want to judge anybody else. I just know in my life if things are shaken and some things that I thought were stable actually aren't as stable or as long-lasting as I thought they were, that's okay. Everything works for good for those of us who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. So let's love Him and let's continue to walk with Him. I think one translation says everything works for a pattern for good. It's like God will bring it all together for good even though we're being shaken. So let's look at Psalm 49. Hear this, all you peoples. Psalm 49. Listen, all you who live in this world, both high and low, rich and poor alike. That would include people in this room. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance of my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With a harp, I will expound my riddle. That's a pretty good opening. It's like, hey, listen to this. Okay, let's listen. Why should I fear, this is verse 5, Psalm 49, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that wise men die, the foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Everybody here, everything that you own will belong to somebody else or get thrown away. Everything that we have will either belong to somebody else later 
or just be thrown in a trash heap. We've got to remember that. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. That happens. We saw Cantrell Road. It's fun to see a road that's got the name. It's like, well, who was that? He had a road named after him, but he's probably long gone. But man, despite his riches, does not endure forever. He's like the beasts that perish. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 13, very key. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve of their sayings. And then we have the word selah, which we don't really know what that means, but it seems to be a place, a break in the music, a break in the thought, so you can kind of reflect a little bit on what was just said. Verse 13, this is the fate of those who trust in themselves and anyone who follows those great people. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave, and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will see decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Selah. Think about that. Verse 13, the fate of those who trust in themselves is the grave, but God will redeem my life from the grave. This is one of the few places in the Old Testament where there's this foreshadowing of eternal life, of resurrected life. Verse 16, do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed, and men praise you when you prosper. He will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. So Psalm 49 is really helpful in times like this. You can't take it with you comes from this. You just Everything is going to get shaken. Everything is going to, we can't take it with us. We don't. We should never try to find our sense of meaning or stability in the things in this world that are temporary. On this theme, as I've talked to people about this idea that maybe we're in the end times or getting closer to it, and there's a sense of anxiety and some sort of fear, I think, in the believers I've spoken to. Some of it may be related to just being in a very insecure situation. When we're insecure, we can be fearful. And I know people are really struggling with these issues, but I want to remind us of something that Jesus said in Matthew 24. This is where Jesus talks about the end times. I'll just read one little section here. Watch out that no one deceives you. Okay, so that's first a really good warning. There are people in this world that will lie to us. They may be driven by spiritual forces they don't understand, but there, are, there is deception in the world. There really is. So we've got to watch out. And how do we guard ourselves? We abide in Him, but we need to know His Word. We really need to know that well. And here Jesus says, For many are going to come in my name claiming I am the Christ, and they'll deceive many. And there are actually people in the world now who claim to be Jesus or the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. You will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pains. That last phrase is what we need to remember. 
when things here get really bad, that's the beginning of birth pain. And we don't despair when the birth pains come. There's something really good coming. That is the beginning of something that's great, a new birth, something that hadn't existed before, a new person, a new life. And Jesus says, don't be deceived and don't worry. All this stuff is going to happen, but that's just the beginning of birth pains. There's a birth coming. It's really good what's ahead for His people. It's really, really, really good. There may be some anxiety in birth pains. I personally have never had birth pains. Some of you have. But that's what Jesus is saying. It hurts, but it's for a purpose. There's something really good coming. And this brings me to Revelation 18. The hallelujah chorus. He shall reign forever and ever. King of kings. That comes from Revelation 18 and 19. The text of that great hallelujah chorus. After this, I saw an angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority. This is verse 1 of 18. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. This is Babylon the Great. Different people think differently about it, but clearly what is happening here is the world systems are collapsing. And the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth are mentioned several times in here. So political systems and economic systems have been getting drunk with these adulteries and excessive luxuries. That resonates with me. Uh, in the West in particular. And then there's a voice from heaven that says, this is verse 4, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Come out of her. There's that word. Well, we've heard this word. Verse 7, Glory and luxury she gave to herself, she boasts. Verse 9, The kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared in her luxury see the smoke of her burning and they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, these are the kings of the political system, they will stand far off and cry, Whoa, oh great city, oh Babylon, city of power. Here's a, here's a phrase that pops up a lot. In one hour your doom is come. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth. So the kings, they weep and mourn. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn because nobody buys their cargoes anymore. When I read this about a year ago, there were all these ships off the coast of California. And I thought, yeah, here's all these merchants of the earth, but nobody's, it's, everything is broken. I don't think we're at the end of that, but there will come a time when it all just breaks. That whole system of the economies and all that stuff. Nobody buys their cargoes anymore. And then there's a list here, cargoes of gold, silver, precious stone, pearls, fine linen. It goes on and on and on and on. And then at the end of verse uh, 13, the merchants of the earth also deal in the body and the souls of men. Isn't that something? And there's been a lot of discussion right now about social media and these companies using all of our information to sell us things and advertising. And in some way, I think that is dealing with the bodies and the souls of men, right? That's what these merchants do in the end times. Verse 15, the merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand off terrified at her torment and they'll weep and mourn. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin, say the merchants. 
the entire world system is collapsing. Political systems, economic systems, and it's not just regional, it's the whole thing. This is the end of Babylon. This is the end of this whole world system that we live in right now. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and the apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Isn't that interesting? That's why the hallelujah chorus comes right here. Verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven, and they were shouting, hallelujah. Would we shout hallelujah when the world systems collapse? We should. That's what it says in verse 20 of 18, right? Rejoice, rejoice, saints. Rejoice. Hallelujah. The birth is coming. Amen. That's where we should be. Are we? And God's word to his people when everything is falling apart is you rejoice. And John hears this roar and they're saying salvation and glory and power, they belong to God, not to Babylon. They belong to God. And true and just are his judgments. And he's condemned this whole system, corrupted the earth with her adulteries. Amen. And again they shouted, verse 3, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. The smoke goes up from her forever and ever. <laughs> Would we say that when everything is just a total wreck? Are we in the presence of the Lord so much that we would say hallelujah? The smoke of this system is just going up forever. It's done. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and they said hallelujah, amen. Verse 6, what was this like to John? Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder. So this is the loudest thing that a human being could ever hear at this time, right? I mean, he's having trouble equating what he's hearing with what he's experienced already in life. And what are they saying? Hallelujah. The Lord our God Almighty, He reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb. It's come, and His bride is made ready for herself. Then the angel said to me, verse 9, You write this down, John. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And these are the true words of God. Verse 11, Then I saw this, he sees this rider on a white horse. It's faithful and true. It's Jesus, the Word of God, coming in, leading this army and just making everything right. And then verse 16, on his robe and on the thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's where the hallelujah chorus comes from. When everything is fallen down and the Lord comes in and he just makes everything right. It's really beautiful. And we need to be of that kingdom, not of the kingdom of this world, really. Uh, fearless and ready and listening when God says, you need to rejoice right now. There are a lot of people out there that put their hope in their bank accounts or their stock or their ability to travel or whatever, and all that's getting shaken, and we need to be the people who say, hey, there is something that is much more stable than that. There is a God who is eternal, and there is a new life coming, a new world that's coming. And you can enter into that, and then when all this stuff gets shaken, it can actually be a time of happiness and joy. If we're like the kings of the earth or like the merchants of the earth and we're standing looking at Babylon falling, of course we're going to weep. But if we're like the saints in heaven looking at the Lord, you say, Amen. You realize that's where we're headed. 
however you might think about the book of Revelation, it really does seem to be saying ultimately all of this world system, everything is just going to collapse and nothing is going to be left of this earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's all going to be new. Everything is new. So that's what I've been thinking about. And I'll say again, rejoice over her, O heavens. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets, for God has judged Babylon for the way that she treated you. I guess to loop all the way back, I've had these conversations where I pick up anxiety from Christians about things that are being shaken or like, oh, is this the end time? And they'll say it with trepidation because it is a, a, a different people believe how much of this great tribulation will go through, but clearly followers of Jesus are going to be suffering and having a hard time at different times. Well, that's Jesus said to the disciples 2,000 years ago, you're going to have trouble on this earth. So it's going to be hard, but it's birth pains. It's not the end. This is not ultimately where we're headed. So I want to encourage you guys, all of us, you know, let's be people that are really fearless and, and realize that it may hurt like every, well, actually, I was going to say, you may lose some of the things that you have now. Well, but actually that's true. Psalm 49, we're going to lose everything. Every single thing that we have, we have to let go of at some point. So let go of it now instead of waiting until it's ripped out of our hands. Just hold it really loosely. Okay, that's what I wanted to share, what I have prepared here. I did want to tell the story. Do you think it's okay if I tell the story? I had breakfast with Jeff the other day at the Mayflower Classic. <laughs> different people have different views about what I'm going to talk about. The gifts of the Spirit. I just want to backtrack a little bit before I tell the story. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until power has come on you. Now, some people say that Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church, the birth of the church, but I, I actually I don't think that's true. It doesn't say that in the Bible, by the way. But Jesus had finished his work on the cross, right? I mean, that was done. They had seen him, the disciples had seen him resurrected. So they believed and they confessed that he was alive. I mean, that was, the church was there. But he said, you need to wait until you have power. Just wait until you have power come on you. And the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost is the fulfillment of the new covenant promise from Jeremiah and Ezekiel when God said, I'm going to renew your spirit and I'm going to put my spirit in you. That's the fulfillment of that. What Jesus was saying, you got to wait for power, was when Jesus said, you know the Holy Spirit, he's with you, but he will be in you. And so now comes the time when there's that power that's given. And the Apostle Paul, when he talks about spiritual gifts in the book of 1 Corinthians, says that these gifts, there's some flashy ones and there's some not so flashy ones. Like I've said, there's the gift of helping people, the gift of faith, some spiritual gift of supernatural faith, the gift of administration. That doesn't seem flashy, but it's a spiritual gift. And Paul says, each of these things is given as a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, a manifestation of the Spirit means a physical embodiment of the Spirit. It's a physical expression of the Spirit. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. And I believe that that is still the way the Lord wants to work in His churches, that as we live by the Spirit, having received the Spirit, there are physical manifestations of that work in us. 
the life of God flowing in His people. And all through the New Testament, there's, uh, it says we'll share in His divine nature. I mean, that is the New Covenant, having that spirit at work and this power that is not our own. Paul says, you know, it's not, I've done, I've worked hard, but it's not really me doing it. It's God in me doing it. That's the way Paul talks about it. And when Paul is very weak and has uh, some physical problem, actually a messenger of Satan, a satanic messenger, and Paul prays earnestly and three times asks God, take this away from me, and, and God answers his prayer. And God says no. The answer is no, but he did answer that prayer. Sometimes our answered prayers are no. And God said to Paul, nope, that's going to keep you humble. Uh, in your weakness, my strength is made evident. There's a list in Romans and Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians, lists of spiritual gifts. And I want to share this one experience. And I want to be careful that we, I glorify God in it because it really is a manifestation of His Spirit. But I also want to share it with you all so you kind of know what my life is like when I'm running around in Romania or whatever. I am more and more firmly convinced that the Lord wants His people to be so intimate with Him that we live more and more the life like Jesus did. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And the words that I say, those are the words the Father gives me to say. I think ultimately that's where He wants us to be as believers. We're not going to be there perfectly, but well, ultimately we will be there perfectly because there is a time coming when he's, gonna, he's just going to burn off all that sin. So we're heading in that direction. I was speaking at a church in Romania. I know the pastor. His name is Hordu. Uh, he's a really great guy. And I'd never spoken at his church. And we were, his church was meeting in a courtyard. And I tried to it was 50 yards long, 25 yards wide, this courtyard, surrounded by these old <laughs> Romanian buildings. And I don't know his, I haven't ever spoken at his church. I know him and his wife. And he had invited me to come speak on a Sunday afternoon. So we're out. It was a really beautiful day, probably in the 80s and sunny and not very humid. And there are trees and they had put up a tarp. If you visit our website, I think I put it on, or the Stoneworks website, there's a picture of me speaking out there. And for two or three days before the meeting, I had a real burden on my heart about a specific word that I was supposed to share. And I think it's what would be called the word of knowledge. It was really a heavy burden. I was like, man, I don't want to say this. And these people don't know me. But so here's what the word was. And I shared this when I stood up. Uh, Mia was the interpreter. She's great. And so I was speaking in English. She was interpreting introduced myself a little bit, and then I said, well, I feel like the Lord wants me to say this, and so here's the word. There is a thief here, and you've been stealing from the church, and you think you've been getting away with it, but God sees you. You are not getting away with it, and the Lord is telling you to confess and repent and return everything you've stolen from the church. That was the word. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> These people don't know me, you know. But that was, was like really heavy in my heart, you know. Like, I got to say it. So, as I'm about halfway through that, there's a guy way back in the back. He raises his hand like, amen, brother. And so I see him raise his hand. And I raise my hand to him and I keep talking. The Lord is saying, you got to repent and you got to admit and amen, brother. I thought he was saying, preach it. Well, no, he was the thief. We found out after the meeting, 
he was the thief. And as soon as I started talking, he's like, ah, that's me. He was convicted by the Spirit. He's confessing his sin. It's just so sweet. You know, it's just so sweet. People around him knew what he was doing. It's, after, but I, it's funny, I tell it on myself because like, I had no idea. I was like, yeah, amen, brother, good for... You know, I had no idea he was the guy. But now I realize I, was, I had my hand up with him and, and I was telling him, you've got to repent, you've got to turn, give it back, you've got to admit, all that stuff, right? So after the church, the pastor told me, that guy, he's the thief, he's been stealing from us. So uh, the reason I tell the story is because God really does want us to live that kind of life. I am super imperfect, but we have a treasure in jars of clay. Like I, God can speak His Word through a donkey. He can make rocks worship Him. He can make Mike Cantrell say something because He loves that man so much. It's a manifestation of the Spirit given for the common good, not for me, but for that man and for this fellowship. And I had some other words, and um, it's funny, when I was talking to Mia, the interpreter, she came up and said, what are you going to talk about today? And I said, well, I've got, I didn't tell her this, but I had a list. I was going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount, and and she said, ah, we've heard all that. We've heard that a lot. I was like, oh, uh, so okay, wad that up. Lord, what do you want me to do? So I just spoke what I felt like the Lord wanted for that church. And there were words for the old people, the best is ahead for you, and God's given you wisdom. There were words for the young people, you need to walk by the Spirit. It was a big word for the church, and it was, it was just really powerful. We have to give God the glory. But it reminded me, afterwards, the daughter, 15-year-old daughter of the pastor came up. She said, I've never heard anybody talk like that. I was on the edge of my seat, just what's coming next? Because it was just from the Lord, really encouraging that fellowship. Real humble people, probably a lot of them can't read or write, I, you know, just out in the little village in Romania, and God loves them so much. And it reminded me at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus finishes, let's say you're watching Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, and then you turn around and you look at the people. You, you know, sometimes you, you, the camera's on the fireworks, and then you look at the people and you see the, the light reflected on the faces of the people. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount... That happens. We turn to the people, and what does it say? They were amazed because nobody had spoken with authority like that. He spoke with authority, not like their teachers of the law. People were just like, wow. And that was the feedback I got from the daughter of the pastor. It's like, wow. And it's only because the Lord loves them so much, and then I just want to say whatever he brings on my heart, you know. But he wants all of us doing that. If we're having coffee with somebody, if we're on the phone with somebody, if we're sending an email to somebody, just say, Lord, you have something encouraging for these people? Do you have something that would really help them to walk with you? Or uh, years, A few years ago, I was sitting at my desk in Russia, and uh, this surgeon who did surgery on Valerie when she was a little girl, she had a hernia, and he's a doctor in San Antonio, and he came to mind. So I looked up his email from a few years before said, Joe, I don't... I think the Lord wants you to hear this. Sent him an email, sent it off. It was middle of the night in San Antonio, like 2 o'clock in the morning. I get an immediate reply from him, and he said, oh, I was up, I couldn't sleep, and what you said is just exactly what I needed to hear. He remembered us as one of the surgeries that he'd done a few years before. But Again, we have to give God the glory, but he wants us to live that kind of life. He really does. 
So let me just tie it up. The world is being shaken and we're seeing that it's temporary and it's not real and actually we can be seduced by deceivers and by luxuries and we need, we need to come out. We need to come out of this world system and we need to live by the Spirit. Wherever we are, the best is always ahead for followers of Jesus. Wherever we are in life, we always look ahead and we just got to leave, just constantly leave things behind, let go and just keep moving ahead in the kingdom. And sometimes, like in the book of Revelation, God's got to remind us, no, no, this is a time to rejoice. It's not a time to be sad. These are birth pains. It's hard, but there's some really good stuff coming. Okay, well, let me just close us with a prayer then. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, thank you, amen, that you speak to us through the scriptures. Thank you for the encouragement and the comfort that you give us. And uh, Lord, I pray for all of us, please let your will be done in our lives. God, help us to abide in you. Amen. Apart from you, we, we can't do anything apart from you. God, help us to let go of anything that keeps us from fully surrendering to you. And Lord, I pray that you will flow through us by your spirit. We're, the, we're your body. We're members of your body. So Lord, use us here on earth to uh, amen, manifest your love and especially words of encouragement and comfort and building people up. God, help us to have those words of life for others. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, we all pray in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He reigns forever and ever on the throne of David. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.